When it comes to optimizing mental performance, understanding your thought patterns and what you say to yourself is a top priority. While this sounds like common sense and simple, how difficult is it really? And what are the concrete ways that athletes are trained to optimize their thoughts? Welcome to the Sports Psychology Of. I'm Gabe Zellico. Today, we're breaking down the sports psychology of optimizing mental performance. This conversation is a slight pivot from many other episodes, as Dr. Brad Donahue joins the podcast to discuss a program that he helped implement at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. The program is called the Optimum Performance Program in Sports, and we'll refer to it throughout the episode as TOPS. Dr. Donahue is a licensed clinical psychologist and distinguished alumni of Nova Southeastern University. He is a distinguished professor in the psychology department and director of the Optimum Performance Program at UNLV. With a focus on optimization science, his applied research is chiefly focused on the scientific development, evaluation, and dissemination of optimization programs, including engagement, assessment, and intervention methods. This episode gives you insight behind how TOPS optimizes mental performance in athletes with plenty of takeaways you can put into action. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to mention if you're looking to work privately and online with a sports psychology coach, head to my website at zelicoperformance.com to schedule a free call with me and see if we'd be a good fit. Now, let's get to the conversation. All right, Brad, you've been in the field for so long now, and I want to take us back to how you got into sports psychology. Do you have a, a little story you can tell us or a moment? Yeah, I think it, you know, like, um, you know, most of us that go into the career with uh, sports psychology, you know, we've, we've had a, a background in sports ourselves, and that's what happened with me. So I used to um, box very competitively and uh, uh, spent some time at the Olympic Training Centers. Uh, I went ahead and traveled internationally and um, uh, with boxing and, and, and also um, uh, at one point was ranked and, and uh, uh, won a national championship. So I was very, very competitive, but I've also had a, a lot of losses, uh, you know, as I think w- when you start to do amateur boxing, you're always, you know, going in these tournaments against very tough competition and matches don't always work out for you and whatnot. So I've had some concussions too. And I think that's the, the, the reason why I really started to get into the into the field, you know, with the adversity that any athlete goes ahead and experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And today we're talking about a program that can apply to anybody in sports. And it sounds like we're going to get into it, people outside of sports as well. And this is the optimum performance program in sports. And I was hoping you can just kind of introduce uh, the general concept of this program. Yeah, well, you know, the athletic director at UNLV that we were working with when I uh, first started uh, you know, wanted, this is back in 2011, had talked with me about, he, he knew I had a background in sports and, and, um, and that I had just uh, gotten done with uh, doing a few studies on performance enhancement. And so he was interested in, hey, could you apply that to mental health? You're a clinical psychologist, maybe you could help us out. And, you know, because we get a lot of of the athletes getting referred over to campus counseling, but then because of the stigma, they 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 don't want to pursue the programming. So you could you develop something, and um, 
after talking with some of the associate athletic directors, we decided that it would be important to really uh, to develop something that would be more of an optimization focus so that it pretty much would be applicable to everybody. You know, everybody can optimize their performance in sports and life. And so that's that's what we really started to, to develop. So we took these kind of evidence-based, um, you know, um, uh, programs, and then we started to adapt them to make them really specific to athletes. We started to adapt them for uh, sport culture and you know, it got, it got kind of fun and, and um, uh, we started to be successful with it. Um, got a, a large grant from the National Institutes of Health to, to do, um, at the time, what was the first study with me mental health with athletes um, that had been done. Uh, you know, uh, it was a randomized clinical trial and uh, we got some good results showed that, that um, implementing this program would lead to uh, better relationships with coaches, teammates, and family. It's kind of like a family-based program. We involve, you, you know, anybody that is a support system for the athlete into the programming. Uh, we had better um, mental health after the program as compared to campus counseling, and we also had um, uh, better um, uh, reductions of factors that would interfere with sport performance. So the program was pretty successful. But what it is, is it's it's kind of based on family behavior therapy, uh, which is kind of like a, a program where you involve family and teach them about uh, cognitive and behavioral skills that they can apply for uh, not just life, but also like very specifically with, with sports, because that's the main reason why most athletes you know, at least that we were working with at UNLV, we're pursuing uh, programming. And, um, you know, what we did was we we kind of looked at it like on a scale from non-optimal to optimal. And so we would say, hey, when you come in, we want to kind of move you over to the optimal side. And for everybody, you've got different skills that are relevant to how you think and and how you do. And, and we want to adapt those skills to kind of, you know, move them into the optimal scale. And they, they kind of dug that, you know, that was that was kind of like a, a cool way of looking at it. We never brought up anything about um, uh, mental health um, ailments or illnesses or problems or any of that stuff, um, even though they may have had, you know, technically, you know, some of those things. Uh, we just, you know, really want to get them optimized. And we would show them kind of like a a triangle too. And, you know, that's very similar to cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you have like each point of the triangle represents thoughts, actions, and, uh, you know, and feelings. And Gabe, you're, you're probably very familiar with that, that triangle. And, you know, uh, normally you would say, well, those thoughts, actions, and, and, um, you know, and, and, uh, and feelings are all kind of influencing one another, right? And, and that influences, your performance is what we were saying. And, and so uh, um, we kind of would show that. And then more recently, we started to add perceptions to it. And so, um, you know, obviously the thoughts and the, and the, and the um, actions are the skills. Well, we actually think that perceptions are a skill too, because everybody senses the same, at, you know, like what you smell, what you see, et cetera, but how you interpret that would be very, very different between one individual and another. And so we started to work with that more recently on how to perceive things in an optimal way, you know, and, and it's been a fun, you know, trip. And we, we just keep on adding to the model, you know, with just taking these kind of these 
programs that have been shown to be effective and then adapting them, you know, to, uh, to, to be a good fit for athletes. This could definitely be generalized to just performance domains. And you can say a performance domain is so many different things, like being in a relationship, being an athlete, being an employee, student, all these things. So I'm excited to kind of get to the meat of TOPS. And again, for everyone listening, TOPS is the optimum performance program in sports. That's going to be what we're talking about today. And to kind of set the scene a bit more, you were, we're, we're talking about mental health a little bit in like adjacent to TOPS. And it sounds like one great feature of this program is it's just totally doing away with the stigma that a lot of people feel naturally when they're going to counselors and general therapy. But this gets rid of that stigma in a way that's really focusing on optimization, not any mental health stuff at the beginning or at its core. How So how much, maybe you can speak a bit more about how this program relates or does not relate to mental health in general. Well, it, it relates to mental health because if you think about you know, like um, if you compare mental health um, with um, performance, just in, in in general, you know, you, you'll see a lot of um, correlations. You know, a lot of similarities. You know, um, for example, if if you're in 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 business, you're going to do better if you can think objectively. Uh, if you compliment people, uh, if you compliment yourself, and you and you think highly of yourself, and kind of build your efficacy, you know those whether it's business or if it's uh, sports or you know whatever the performance situation is, you know it it kind of generalizes, you know, and and so like uh, we look at it like, you know, basically that that um, you know we want to teach um, you know our our athletes or or performers or business people that you know um if you you can just kind of uh think objectively but with a positive bent to it you know that that's always going to be you know really a good thing and then you just add things like empathy in there and you know creating like uh, value systems you know with mindfulness and some of the other practices that you know that are out there that are amazing and you know just kind of put it all together you know, you mentioned earlier that it's kind of like optimizing performance on a spectrum where you got, might go from non-optimal to optimal. And I think of this similar in the mental health sphere of you don't have to be in at the bottom or the end of the spectrum where you have some mental health condition that is debilitative. You can be feeling fine or even be feeling good about yourself, but this is still a way to optimize and move further into the area where you're where you're actualizing yourself and, and reaching your potential. Does that sound right? That, yeah, from our perspective, absolutely. And, you know, like what we did was we we started, it was interesting with SMART goals. And as you know, like uh, SMART goals are, right, specific, measurable, you know, they're going to be uh, attainable, et cetera, you know. And 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 so what what's fascinating is I know that when I was doing clinical psychology, you know, you, you start to create a SMART goal for someone and then you, you know, and you, and you spend a lot of time getting it just right, you know, so that they can really focus really well on it. And those concepts are extremely important, but it does take a long time to get them going. And then if you have a death in the family or something major happens, the SMART goal kind of, you know, is no longer um, relevant, you know, and, and so you have to readjust them. So we came up with these uh, things that we call dynamic goals, where basically we targeted five major areas and we looked at um, mental strength and stability, sport, 
um, you know, performance, uh, you know, slash physical activity, uh, physical health. Uh, we looked at, um, you know, uh, um, relationships and, and um, gosh, what else, uh, work and school. And, and we, we thought that, that the athletes would have all those major areas that they would be focusing on. And then we would say to them, okay, so we want you to just go about life and we want you to try to optimize it to the best of your ability. And, um, and then come back next week and we'll talk about how you optimize each of those different areas. And there's, there's no uh, number of, of um, areas that you have to address necessarily uh, or to any extent, just do the best you can and come back. And so they would come back and then we would say, okay, what did you do to optimize your relationships this past week? And they would just write down something on a, on a piece of paper, you know, like maybe they talked to a stranger that they wouldn't normally do. And then we would, you know, descriptively praise them like exactly what we thought was really cool about what was going on. And we solicited that from them too, of course. And then once they said that, then we would say, okay, um, th this is amazing. So we're meeting them where they're at. And then we would say, so um, I wonder, you know, other athletes have said such and such, and we give them some new information, perhaps, you know, or we'd solicit that information from them. And we'd say, so given that information, is there anything knowing that what, that you would do any differently? And then they might say, yeah, I would do such and such a little bit differently looking back at it. And then and then we would say you optimized it. And, and so it was kind of like this two step process. And we call them dynamic goals because they were really flexible. They could they could go and adapt you know however they they would and a perfect example is that we were doing it with a silver medalist and i the parents were up in the in the bleachers and they were kind of listening it was kind of like a workshop and um you know she says uh you know i said well what did you do to optimize your relationships and she says um well i i uh, said i said um I, I told my my parents thank you for cooking for cooking dinner and i said wow that's great you know Today is a lot different than it used to be. Uh, you know, we don't usually get 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 that anymore. Things are just assumed, it seems. You know, and so that was wonderful. Uh, now, um, just out of curiosity, looking back at it, is there anything you could have done uh, to optimize that? And she thinks for a little bit, and then she says back, uh, "You know, I could have cooked dinner." I said, "Whoa, you know, that's amazing." And and it's kind of cool. I looked up and I saw her parents were like, you know, like just the the facial expressions on them, you know, they were very, very, uh, it, it meant a lot, you know what I mean? And so we do things like that and we exchange um, appreciations, a lot of gratitude exchange, things like that too. And we've got like all different types of exercises. So you're very hands-on with the athletes in this program. It isn't really a thing where these athletes are doing this program on their own, or maybe are there two versions? Well, we, we, um, usually there'll be like uh, what we call an optimizer that's working with with the um, optimizee, which would be the the person that they're actually you know meeting with, and and uh, you know so there's usually that facilitator you know kind of showing the the different skill sets, and then the hope is of course that 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 they learn these skills and then they they fade out mm -hmm. and uh, do it themselves. And we've recently started to ex explore it with uh, teams because if you think about it. If you look at, you know, mental health in in, in the um, you know in our country, we we know it's it's about the same between athletes and non-athletes, uh, you know, in terms of what those prevalence rates are. It's about you know one in four 
you know, maybe even a little bit higher than that now, you know, that of people that have a mental health, uh, you know, disorder. And that would be most often um, a mood disorder like depression, uh, an anxiety disorder, um, you know, substance use disorder, things like that. Well, those are, are you know, they're, they're out there. But there's tons of people that are that are experiencing those kind of, of issues, you know, like maybe they're a little anxious or maybe it's even specific to sports. They're out there, you know, in, in high numbers. And sometimes it goes up and it goes down. You know, like if you're stressed out, uh, we found that that's going to really amplify everything. You know, it just kind of brings, you know, brings that mental health down quite a bit. Uh, if you're not experienced stressors or you're able to manage them effectively, you know, then we've seen that the mental health gets a lot better. And, and so we're trying to reduce stressors, give skills, sets out to the, you know, to the people that we're seeing, and then they can, they can go on and, and do it themselves, you know, mm -hmm. to maintain. Yeah. That's always the goal where you can kind of get coached into a way that now you're doing it yourself. You don't need someone else to tell you how to optimize your mind and your thoughts. You're able to have those skills for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I also wanted to ask the, the optimizer, are they sports psychology practitioners? Are they mental health uh, licensed practitioners or is it both? Yeah, they're usually, um, you know, it could be both. Uh, um, if if they're if they're addressing if the person's coming in for mental health, then obviously that person has to be licensed. You know, mm -hmm. uh, what we what we found though is that if we implement the program, like like uh, the people that we're doing our our um, when we did the NIH trials uh, for the National Institutes of Health. Um, the the students that were were implementing those programs, of course, they weren't licensed. They were students, and uh, they were learning how to do the protocols, and they were doing them, you know, fantastically. Um, so so like because it's we're focused on sport performance as well as life performance, you know, um, I, I think it's a, a lot to um, you know it's a it, it depends on. You, you know, truth in advertising, you know, like if you're, if you're going to be working with the athlete on the performance, then, a, you know, someone that's, that's trained, you know, in, or certified in, in performance would, would do quite fine with uh, the, the programming, you know, uh, if mental health is being addressed, so that's the presenting concern, that then the person really has to be licensed, even though they're, they're still doing the program, just in case something, mm -hmm. you know, should come up. So I want to talk about the the really like applied part of this program. And I, I always like to wonder about how it starts. And I, I imagine it's not really different across sport domains. And I imagine you have some type of style that you kind of do something similar with everybody, at least in the beginning, until you can kind of understand the unique needs of each athlete or person that you're working with. So in general, do you have a kind of formula of how people start in this program? I know we talk, kind of talked about the goal setting, but is that part of it? And is there anything else in addition? Yeah, when we when we first started to do the clinical trial at NIH, um, picture athletes were coming in. We had intramural athletes, uh, club sport athletes, and then we had NCAA athletes. And they, they come in for various reasons, you know. And um, so when they would come in, of course, we would ask them about their background uh, in sports. Um, we, we emphasized a lot of the positivity, you know, that, that they had experienced. What, what brought them into sports? Um, you know, what do they love about sports? What was their passion about sports? 
And then, and then we would say, what, what are your goals? What are you, what are you looking for? But we also added a lot of um, cultural aspects. Um, we would, uh, we have these uh, scales that we could assess for um, various types of culture, like sports culture, sexual orientation culture, gender culture, you know, and we'd have a list of, of different types of, um, of, of cultures that we would, that, that could be relevant. And then we would pr present that to the um, to the athletes and say, you know, which um, which of these uh, do you feel you most identify with? And then they would tell us and then we would implement um, uh, questions that would be relevant to that. So, for example, if it was ethnic culture, we would say, hey, um, you know, I see that your ethnic culture is very important to you. Tell me how. Um, how is that a big part of your life? And 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 sometimes we would even go into um you know, uh, uh, some of the difficulties that they might have experienced for that that culture. I see here um, that you indicated that um, that you've experienced rude or offensive remarks due to uh, your ethnic background. Please tell me more about that. And then we would we would have a conversation about that. And, and so, um, you know, uh, interestingly, the types of cultures that were being uh, chosen to, to go over would depend on what the athlete's um, you know, background was. So for instance, when we gave a choice of all the different cultures um, that were available, we've got about seven or eight of them, we would find the NCAA athletes, all of them, regardless of their gender, their ethnicity, um, sport, et cetera, they all chose uh, sport culture as their number one. But when we implemented with intramural and recreational athletes, then we got a mixture. And you really couldn't predict what kind of cultures the persons would have. And so, you know, that they would want to talk about or that they felt they identified with. So that was kind of, you know, really fascinating. But we, we tried to also do kind of like engagement strategies too. Like we'd have beanbag throws and we trash talk them in one condition. And then we would you know, we would um, give them supportive statements in another, and then depending upon how they did, we would say, hey, you know, tell us a little bit more about why you did so well with this, this situation, you know, when we we're trash talking you versus when we were giving those positive statements. And then, they, you know, they would tell us a reason. We'd say, that's what we do over at top. So we kind of figure these things out and then, you know, try to implement them. So it really starts off with that awareness piece, which is obviously important for the mental side of performing is you help these athletes understand what makes them tick, what they value, all this stuff so that they can know how to optimize themselves in what uh, what they value in themselves the most. Yeah, we, we would take like, um, uh, for instance, we have a, a list of non-optimal and optimal thoughts. And, and you know, like a non-optimal thought would be like... Uh, you know, a pressure thought, um, you know, like I have to do something, uh, maybe I have to score a certain amount of points. And then we would go to the other side and we would, we would talk about like process oriented thinking. And so we would, you know, uh, take examples and we would do that. And then we would do the same thing for like behaviors. And then we would actually do it for values. Like we'd have a listing of different values are up there, like integrity or, you know, um, hard work ethic, et cetera. And they would choose which ones that they felt were most relevant to them. And then we would talk about why, and then we would try to build it off of those value systems. So we did a lot of that as, as well. Is it true for me to think of tops as basically just, okay, the, the core of this is optimizing non-optimal thoughts. Is there a lot more to it? Or is that basically like, yeah, that is the core of this practice that can really optimize performance in general? 
Yeah, the walk away would be kind of like as you go throughout a day, you're really focused on 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 different areas that are that are relevant to you. You know, like I mentioned before, the mental strength and stability and the work and the school and the sports and the exercise, et cetera. And you would you would you would for those areas, you would just try the best that you could do to optimize the way you were thinking, the way uh, you were doing things and the way that you were perceiving things, you know. And, and so for those three areas, you're you're just trying to do the best you can, you know, and then trying to accept that, trying to say, hey, you know what, uh, I did, you know, today I I I went ahead and and walked. Like let's say if it was a non-athlete today, I I walked, um, you know, a mile, and I haven't done that in, you know, in five years, and that was what I did that was optimal. And then and then you know the person can think, okay. So then, you know, the next day, what could I do to optimize that experience even further? Oh, I'll, I'll just walk one mile and a quarter, you know, and, 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 and so you can kind of do that, but you've got to be satisfied with whatever you felt you did that was optimal. And, and we say it's, it's, you did the best you could do, uh, given your resources that you had available, your, um, your skill sets and, uh, and the demands that were upon you. That, that given all that, you did the best you can. And we, we have a philosophy where we say you never miss a goal. Uh, it's just that another goal became more relevant at that time. And if you look at it that way, then there's there's no, um, you know, kind of regrets. There's there's no um, ill feelings that you have in, inside that you, you didn't accomplish, you know, something. And um, and then, of course, we're trying to avoid outcome-oriented thinking, you know, like winning a, a gold medal or or winning the race, you know, we're really talking about the process as well. So we do a lot of things that are relevant to evidence-based practices. We just kind of put them, put them together into like a, a standardized thing so people could kind of do it. Would you, you say know? optimized thoughts are usually in the present objective slash positive uh, basically kind of, kind of that stuff and not beating yourself up irrationally, not thinking, dwelling on the past or being anxious about the future. It's all about present objective, positive thinking. That's exactly right. I mean, like, you know, like we, we always talk about like doing things in the here and now and moving forward. And if you think about that, that inherently protects the confidentiality of the, of the athlete or whoever the performer is. And, uh, you know, cause when we have those kind of discussions, discussions, you can now bring in other people that are support systems and you don't violate or risk violation of anything that that may have, have, have been something that was a concern that they didn't want to talk about. And so that's how, by the way, we were able to get support of others involved. So we could have a coach in the room. We could have a uh, an aunt, you know, um, you know, on the on the telephone and and maybe we could have someone else on a Zoom. We could we could mix up those relationships, those supportive others, and they could all be in the room. And some know different aspects of the athlete, for example, about, about their life. But because we're going on the here and now, it's skill focused and it's moving forward, you know, uh, there's no risk really, or at least it's a heck of a lot lower of someone saying something that could upset the athlete or, you know, um, maybe bring up something that they're not prepared to work on. And, and so that was kind of fun too, because we found in our studies that the more different types of, of relationships that we could involve in the programming, the better the outcomes. Um, and that was for sports specific outcomes as well as like life outcomes, you know? 
And I think that's important, you know, like, so we want to get everybody communicating on the same page. If you, if you look at most um, programs that are existing, they're individually based and I'm guilty as, as everybody, you know, like we see that individual, but if you can bring in lots of different other people and get them on, it's better. You know, so many studies show that. So we should probably be doing more of that. There's, there's two things that pop in my head why that might be one that could be because of more social support buffers the effects of stress so obviously doing that you're going to be a better performer um, but also i wonder if it's a part of lowering how important that athletic identity is and kind of bringing in other people to understand that okay being an athlete is part of my life i still have family that's really important they might care about me more as a person not as an athlete that could oftentimes lower anxiety but and really what it does is it lowers the frequency and intensity of non-optimal thoughts. Does that sound like a, a reason why it's really important to include everybody? Oh yeah. That's just, that's just perfect, Gabe. I mean, yeah, you, you, I mean, you obviously know this stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's so difficult to, um, you know, think any other way, right? Like, but like if we can decrease the stressors in someone's life, they're a different person. They think more rationally, you know, it's, I mean, if you put anyone in a stressful situation and athletes and performers, business people, you know, when, when, when they get in those pressure cooker kind of situations and they got a lot of things that they've got to balance, they're, they're not necessarily skilled in everything, you know, so, so, you, you know, so it could, it could really uh, create a, uh, a very difficult situation to have to, to master you know, so that's why we say that, listen, you, you can't accomplish everything in every different domain. Let's try to do as many as we can and just focus on what you're doing that you feel is, uh, you know, is, is, is optimal given your resources and your skills and, and the demands that are upon you. And if you look at it that way, it really removes a lot of the stress. So I think you hit it right on. And I think relationship building is, is huge, you know, like, like all it takes is a parent and a, a coach to disagree on something and the athletes kind of like in the middle, you know, and, and, and automatically uh, that's a major stressor, you know, but if you bring them all together, usually it's, it's fairly, you know, it, it's a lot easier to, to solve. So awareness is again, so important in everything that we talk about mental performance and mental health. So I wanted to ask you if there's any, uh, any buckets of non-optimal thoughts that you can point us to. So obviously negative self-talk is a, is a common one and it's a really impactful one. Um, and I think there's more subcategories under negative self-talk, but are there themes that you see in these non-optimal thoughts that you see in the tops clients that you, that basically though, if we can improve awareness around these, then we'll be more well-equipped to neutralize them. Yeah, well, um, you know, I think <clears throat> there's so much research that's been done in that area. And I think that's what you're alluding to is the idea that like, you know, certainly the shoulds and the musts, I must do this, I should do that. You know, then you've got your pressure statements like, um, uh, like I have to, uh, well, that's kind of related, but um, let me think of some others. Um, uh, like if you know, I don't do this, coach is going to blank. Yeah, um, I mean, there, th those are the really big ones that that we see. There, there's subtle ones though too, and one of the ways that we we kind of can can get at that is that when I when I was an athlete, I did some imagery exercises, you know, and and so what would happen is we'd have a script and and you know you work with the 
you know, a sports psychologist that kind of scripts it out with with you, right, about how your performance situation is going to going to be. And the performance situation usually is the most stressful is the competition. And so you have a, a listing of how it's going to be in the good way, right? And and then you kind of imagine, you know, that situation kind of going through it, right? And and it's almost like if there's anxiety associated with that that uh, performance situation, if you do that enough, the anxiety goes down. We all know that. And what's interesting, though, we found <clears throat> we started to do that where it'd be more imaginal. And, and what would happen is when we had them do a thing called talk aloud, where you do the same script, you describe your performance situation going very well, and, and you've given all the cues as the provider or as the, you know, the optimizer to, to, you know, you've developed it together. Here's my performance situation. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out my left jab. It's, it's going like rapid fire. I'm, I'm ducking down. I'm feeling strong. I'm smelling the sweat in the, in the ring and it, and it, and it, and it energizes me. You know, you think, think about those kind of things. But what we found is that like a lot of times what we thought they were, they, they, we thought they would be having those kind of thoughts, but in actuality, when they were doing their imaginations, they're th saying things like, okay, um, I think I can throw those jabs out. I, I better watch out because he could, he can nail me. And, and, and if I th throw that crossover, right, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to make it work, you know, things like that. Like, and that's not optimal thinking. So when we had the talk aloud doing the scripts, all of a sudden we could identify those very rapid. So then what we started to do is we started just tell them what to say, you know, so they would say like, I think I can do it. No, you know, you can do it. Say, I know I can do it. I know I can do it. Great. Keep going. And then they would do it. So we were correcting the script as they were going ahead and talking out loud. Then we started to do the perceptions and that's where it got really cool. So that's when they would say like, what, what are you smelling? I, I smell the corn, like a swimmer. I smell the chlorine. And, and what does it, what does it feel? You know, what, what, how do you interpret that? It burns my lungs. No, it doesn't burn your lungs. It makes you feel aware that you're, you're excited for today. I, I smell the chlorine and it gets me excite, excited for today. Yes, it does. You're kicking ass. Go ahead, keep going. You know, and we would, we would, we would have fun with it. So we started to develop these performance exercises where we take an optimal situation that they had recently experienced that was relevant to whatever they're ang anxious about or they haven't performed well in. And we say, give us the best, most optimal experience that you can remember. So we start there. And then we have them kind of just, you know, just describe it in the first person, like I am doing whatever. And, and so now they're, they're talking out loud and they're saying the first person, the here and now, and, and if they go in the back, like they start talking about the past, we say, no, stay, stay current. Oh, okay, I am doing this as compared to I did that, you know. So, so they're like looking at it as if it's, it's, they're experiencing it. And we just keep on flooding them with anytime they have a sense, uh, we, would, we would have them shape that into some kind of perception that adds to their performance. And we, if you do it enough, and you do it in an op, starting with an optimal situation, what what happens is it takes away the anxiety. So now you can actually prescribe them to do that before they go to sleep. And so we call that um, in with nightmare disorders, you script out something that's really pleasant, right, before they go to bed, and then they go to sleep, 
and they're more likely to have no, you know, to have pleasant dreams, right? So we started to do the same thing with the athletes going to bed with their performance. You know, we would we would have them do the the um, performance situation, and then they would fall asleep. So one day, by the way, we're doing it in a group, and this was swimmers, and the one swimmer says, "I've tried I've tried Im imagery, and uh, it that doesn't work for me." And I said, oh, well, um, she says, I said, what happens with it? And she says, I get anxious. You know, I said, oh, OK, so then tell me about what your situation's like. And so she starts to describe the competitive situation. But what she's when she started to talk about it out loud, it occurs to me that she's using all those words like you were alluding to, you know, like I have to do this and and it, and it, and it got kind of tricky. So then we just did this this exercise and stripped away the anxiety part of it because now she's neutral thinking, objective thinking, and then, uh, you know, have her redo it. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, it, it just eliminates that. But the perception stuff is the big one where we can just tell them what to, to think. Like, I mean, Gabe, what would you say would be something that, that you would have, um, you know, someone would say if they were in a script and they're talking out loud about their performance situation, what might you hear? Uh, can you think of any ones that, yeah, I love going back to the the objective neutral thoughts and not really attaching the emotion to it when you don't have to, because if you're attaching emotion to it and we're talking about someone who's got performance anxiety and struggling, it's probably negative emotion. And yeah. so really reeling that in in order to stay neutral is one of the skills that I find most important because that just seeps into your thoughts about everything your evaluation right. of everything that you're perceiving, like you said. And and I love that you keep talking about changing the way people perceive what they're sensing. So all the information right. coming in, because it really is everything comes back down to perspective because based yeah. on your perspective is going to be how much anxiety you feel or excitement. So yeah. I really come down, come back to that as the bedrock, which is why I was just nodding my head for like four minutes straight there and everything that you were talking <laughs> about. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I get so passionate about it because it, it gets so fun when you do these things, you know, and, and, uh, you know, but, but yeah, you're, you're spot on to it. And it's just really interesting because we went from the objective thoughts, you know, like I am throwing that jab twice. You know, I, I smell the sweat on the, in, you know, in the, in the ring, right. That's very objective. And that, and that's better than, you know, I I'm, I'm feeling a little bit, you know, queasy as I'm throwing this. I mean, anything that negative that pops in, into that, into that script is, is not good. So you think like the objective is the best, right? I'm, I'm throwing that jab twice. I'm smelling the sweat in, in the ring. So we just went one step further because, you know, they started to do the objective but then we started to do the perception adjustment. And that's where I'm doing that jab and it's firing out and I'm feeling strong. I'm, I'm, I'm smelling the ring and it, and I smell the sweat. It makes me just know that I've been working my ass off. I, you know, like, like, like everything that they would say that's objective, we, we end it with the perception that would be like, you know, kicking it, you know, like, like bringing it up and, and you know, a lot. So it was kind of cool. How long would you say typically it takes for an athlete doing this training until they're kind of doing it themselves and they only need to really check in with the optimizers? So maybe how many sessions, how many weeks of training until this athlete is almost self-sufficient in optimizing their thoughts on their own? Well, you know, it, it, it takes a while, like all of us. And, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, they might get it and then a stressor hits them and then you see them kind of abandon 
some of the things that which is so ironic right like that that is so common that they have athletes have this toolkit that is so great for managing stressors anxiety and then it bubbles up the stress and anxiety and it's funny how a lot of people just kind of stop doing what they should do um so yeah it's funny that that i'm assuming you see a lot of athletes kind of come back to you or you need to remind them like hey you still are just we're just going back to the same stuff that we've been doing this whole time yeah, I mean, we, we went through a lot of work to try to get the, you know, the intervention programs, you know, the the different performance programs, as we call it, you know, um, you know, uh, optimize them themselves. And then, you know, but but just like every program that's out there, there's nothing that's going to just do the job for everybody in all situations. And so there's a little bit of teasing it as you go along. There's there's certainly um you know, the ups and the downs that come in. But but generally speaking, you see those those downs happen a lot less as the as it goes on. You know, that's that's, that's the hope I think for you know any program. I wanted um I wanted to ask you about the motivational sandwich. Can you speak yeah. about that real quick? Yeah. So the motivational sandwich is that like we did some research where we randomized um uh um track athletes uh to different conditions before they ran and um you know in one condition just i'll just throw out a few of them you know we would stand above the the you know them when they were doing their their calisthenics is that unlv with the cross country and and we would say um we we would first give them a list of of different motivational statements and they would circle the ones that they felt were most motivating and so we started off the trials by you know like hey you're going to dominate today you're the definition of speed you know and then we started to do instructional statements to keep them objective thinking because they were having such negative thoughts they were saying like she looks strong she looks tall i don't know that i can beat her stuff like that and so then we started to to teach them the objective thoughts that you know something like a coach would say you know yep. um run with your 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 hands loose um go ahead and uh, run through the finish line use your diaphragmatic breathing stuff like that and then we started mixing them up and and conceptually it makes sense like if you give a motivational statement prior to an instruction it it gets the the mind more absorbing and concentrating on on the instruction so you're going to dominate uh run with your your shoulders dropped mm. you know right and so there's the objective statement but then we thought well you know after they say the instruction if we have another motivational sam you know statement that comes after then it's rewarding them for saying that so the the preparation is you're going to dominate i'm going to drop my shoulders when i'm running um I feel fantastic, you know, something like that. And then we started to do these, you know, kind of like, um, like, like just multiple mo- mo- motivational sandwiches. And we we tried them out, like where they would listen on a, like they would listen to a CD, you know, like in their head headphones, at, where we would just keep on having those things go uh, continuously. Um, sometimes we shouted out at them. Sometimes we mix it up where we would see just instructional versus motivational and instructional. Mm-hmm. And we started timing them to see which was the best. So the best was the motivational sandwich, you know, the, the one, yeah. you know, motivational, instructional, motivational, and it was better than instructional only, but that was pretty good. And, and we did some where they had white noise, you know, like they would hear in the headphones, Shh. And that, of course, had a deleterious kind of yeah. impact. But uh, yeah, so we that's that's how that came. Wow. Why I love this is 
So you get the first motivational statement. And I think of that as priming the brain for, okay, this is important to me. And then you get the instructions. And what I think of that as is empowering, where you feel a bit more optimistic and hopeful and confident because hopefully you're getting good instructions that you think, yeah, this is definitely going to make me more efficient or optimizing my performance. And then when you pair that with another motivational statement, now that's even more effective to at least get your energy flowing throughout your body and really executing that instruction to a T. So uh, I, I really like this motivational sandwich. Are there, do you find this a, a common effective tool with athletes? Yeah, without a doubt. And and what, what we found is interestingly is that d- different athletes, I, I mean, it seems to make sense, right? Different athletes get motivated by different statements, different words, you know, words do matter. And in motivation, they're incredibly important. And so we started to do these other studies where we we took um, uh, different types of categories of motivational words. So like some would be like um, animalistic, like I'm a, I'm a tiger, I'm mm-hmm. I'm a, a cheetah, you know, stuff like that. And then we'd have other ones that would be spiritual, God shining on me. And then we would have, you know, maybe, um, you know, the, the aggressive ones, like I'm going to dominate, I'm going to kick ass, stuff like that. And if you give a bunch of people those and ask them to rank them, you'll, you'll see a lot of times you can't predict which, yeah. which things are going to motivate them, right? And so what we do is we have some fun with it. We, we give out these motivational categories and we have them rank them and then we'll give them out in a team. And then we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll take two people. We'll say, hey, who are two of you guys that are, are really uh, know each other really well and you, and you like each other? And then we, we say, so what did he put as his number one? And, and, you know, it's, it's so funny how cocky they are, right? Like, oh, you know, he's, he, he, he likes, um, he's definitely spiritual. That's what he put down there. And he said, oh, what did you put down to the, to the person? And, and he says, oh, I, I put down, um, you know, kind of like the, um, you know, the aggressive, like I'm, I'm going to dominate. See what, you know, what, how did you know you guys are really good friends? How, how did you not know what your teammate, you know, uh, uh, what motivates your teammate and then mm-hmm. and then the 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 person of course right what, what what do you think they would say like they i mean what would you say like if you all of a sudden you found out that you didn't even know what your best friend uh would pick right to motivate them i mean my mind goes to like yeah i guess and you probably don't know what's motivating me because we don't talk about these things or at least we're not honest and genuine when we do talk about them Okay, there it is. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. And so we say, so so it's really important that you all concentrate. So then what we do, we started to do this with teams and it's really fun. We we have them share what kind of things that they like. And we had one kid, um, it was really cute. He, th- this was like with a younger group of like eight-year-olds and the, and the one kid liked jellyfish. He wants to be, he's a hockey player. He wants to be jellyfish, you know? So they started, they started like, you're a jellyfish, you're a jellyfish. And it was really cute, you know? And the kids like, you know, getting all excited, but, but like, um, it, it's really interesting too, because the, 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 who says what makes a difference too. So we have one where we say, what would your parents want? Uh, what would you want to hear from your parents? What would you want to hear from your coach? What would you want to hear from your teammates? And they're oftentimes very different. And, and so that's important too. So once we, we can assess very rapidly that, you know, which things they want from who, then we, we want them, the athlete, to share that, you know, to say, this is the kind of things, mom, that I would really appreciate you saying when, before my, my uh, uh, you know, my track meet. And then the other thing that's interesting too is that those words change. 
you know, as, as you know, Gabe, right, being a competitive athlete, you, you know, you're you're going to want something different for competition, perhaps, than you would, you know, as you're walking out the door, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So so we we just get them involved with that. And one of the ways that we've done that is kind of have them all line up, you know, so they're facing each other. And then we have one of the lines move, you know, like so they 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 um say this is I like the aggressive statements, things like I'm gonna dominate, I'm gonna kick ass, I'm gonna throw heavy leather in that fight, you know, and and that's what I want to hear. And then we have them also tell like like how they want it. I, I want that really loud and obnoxious, where they might say, I want it really low and you know, really firm. So they tell that to the person in front of them. And then the teammate says it back or the coach, perhaps, you know, in the way that they want it. And they practice that and then they exchange. And then the one line moves over one and they do it with the next teammate. And so it's a really rapid way of kind of getting at how they want those kind of statements. And it, it's fun, and it, but, it, but it's also uh, supported by science. And it, it, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, this is awesome. The motivational sandwich too, and and it increases your awareness of like, oh, you know what? I just heard someone give a spiritual motivational phase, and I didn't realize how much that resonated with me. Maybe I should look into that. So again, awareness building uh, is kind of all over this episode. But I want to ask one more question before we wrap up. I imagine, I mean, I know it is. It is cognitively demanding to kind of be on the lookout for all your non-optimal thoughts, and then to try and optimize them throughout a whole day or even just a practice or a game. Do you ever find athletes struggling on that side where they're actually feeling more anxious or stressed because it's kind of just a lot more work, whether it's a cognitive work or just physical work, it can be draining. Uh, does that, does that something that you find with people that kind of are going through this program, maybe in the early stages? Well, of course, I, I think that's going to be the case when you learn any, any skill, right. And, and, a cognitive skill or a way that you think about something is perhaps even harder because you don't get the direct feedback from other people. You know, like even in the way that we talk, you know, our social skills, we, we get immediate feedback, you know, we're, we're immediately reinforced by the other person, you know, and, uh, uh, you, you know, or, or punish, you know, potentially, right. But when it's your thoughts, you're the only one that really knows what, what those thoughts are. And so you're always going to get a delayed feedback. And so that's why I think it helps to go to a professional, you know, who's especially someone that's trained in, you know, in sports or business or whatever the, the setting may be that kind of knows the situation a little bit and then gets the person to be able to talk it through so that their thoughts are now out on the table. And then and then they can kind of see what those patterns are and they could start to make the adjustments. And I think that's true of, you, you know, all of our, our different disciplines, which in sports psychology, I mean, it's been very powerful. I mean, you know, like uh, I've talked with many people that don't do sports psychology and, you know, they, they talk about how, you know, our effect sizes are pretty, pretty strong. You know, we, we, our, our studies indicate that the interventions that we're doing, the, uh, the preventions and, and just the performance programs, they're very powerful, you know, generally speaking, you know, and, uh, and I think that's because they, they make sense. I, I think, um, you know, athletes, business people, like people that are performers, they want, they want to know, okay, what, how am I going to measure this? How am I going to mm-hmm. see if I'm doing, I'm doing better, uh, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So um, I, I think we're all onto something, you know, we, we, you know, the, the, the different types, self-acceptance and commitment therapy, big one, mindfulness, um, 
you know, uh, the cognitive behavioral therapies. I mean, my God, we, 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 we're really, you know, standing pretty strong in the field. So it's, it's, it's kind of fun, but, but um, yeah, this, this TOPS program is kind of like a, you know, taking a lot of those things, putting them together and then trying to standardize it in a way that, you know, that, that can make it so that it's, um, you know, it's more palpable. It's, it's more, um, I should say more, more that, um, like just, just kind of bring the excitement to it. You know, I think mm -hmm. we all do that. Yeah. I think you're doing wonderful work. This is an awesome program and I loved kind of getting into the weeds of it. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to take away a lot of different things from this episode of ways to optimize their thoughts, or at least a different way to think about their thoughts in general. So thank you so much, Brad, for coming on and talking shop with me, please kind of talk about where people can reach out or any website, social media you want to share. Yeah, I mean, the, the easiest way, we've got some videos that people can watch um, that my students did a fantastic job uh, called topscience.com with two Ps, uh, topscience.com. And, and and there's also really cool um, results from our research that, that we did where, the, I, I don't know exactly what you call them, but but you look at a video with, with some athletes and it, it kind of has like a, a query or a statement about something that's relevant to the research that's applied. And then you flip that over and then it goes to the answer of what you could do. So they're really practical and they're, they're on there as well. And, um, you know, so uh, uh, hopefully they could take advantage of them and, and uh, really appreciate it. And Gabe, that was fantastic. I really uh, appreciate all the questions. Um, they were very insightful. And yeah, obviously it's nice to do an interview with someone that really knows the field really well, been trained by the best and whatnot. So. So. Yeah, appreciate it. And I'll have all those links in the description there. So they're just a click away. But Brad, thank you again for coming on and hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Stay up to date with the podcast by following the sports psychology of on your podcast platform and see short highlights from every episode on Instagram. If you want to start working on your mental game, try out one-on-one -on -one sports psychology coaching with me by visiting my website, zelicoperformance.com and schedule a free intro call where we'll discuss your goals, obstacles to success, and determine if we'd be a good fit to move forward. You can also email me directly at gabriel at zelicoperformance.com regarding private coaching or the podcast. Links to social media, my website, and email are all in the description. Thank you for listening.